Good morning, everyone. My name is Nick, and my Dharma name is Hewal. For a while, I've been contemplating ways to apply Buddha Dharma in everyday life. At the same time, I've also been contemplating the verses to the ten ox herding pictures, a series of poems and images composed by a Zen master around a thousand years ago. These images and poems represent a practitioner's journey to awakening, and in them, the ox represents a mind driven by desire, and the herd boy represents a mind of practice, gradually taming the ox until it becomes a vehicle for awareness and compassion. I gave a talk on verses one through three last year. It's on the temple's YouTube, so check it out later if you haven't seen it. But to summarize the first three passages, in stage one, the practitioner hasn't been introduced to the Buddha Dharma, and their ox runs about uncontrolled. In stage two, the herder captures the ox, putting an end to its rampage and struggles to rein it in. At stage three, the herder gradually begins to understand the nature of their ox. And through consistent practice, they are able to train it. Each ox is unique, requiring a different set of skills for training. But as the herder gets to know their ox, results begin to unfold. Verse four, turning toward its leader. As the day unfolds, training deepens, and results begin to appear. The ox now turns toward its leader. Gradually, the ox becomes tamed and pliant. The ox herd remains unsure whether the ox has fully submitted, so he keeps the lead rope taut and tethers the ox to a tree. At the stage of turning toward its leader, a practitioner begins to understand the inherent value of practice. Previously, one may have practiced for the goal of attainment, pleasing others, or even out of fear. Prior to this stage, the ox was leading the pair, or the two were at a standstill, locked in combat. But now the herd's boy is beginning to lead, and at this stage, one becomes aware of their own mind and the influences of sensory conditions through self-observation and meditation. For me, I've started to notice a tugging at the back of my mind whenever something doesn't feel right. It's like the oxherd tugging at the neck of an ox with a rope. When I feel that tugging, it's a sign to pause and evaluate the moment before I move forward. Oftentimes, when I leave the temple, I'm in a rush to get somewhere or do something, and I'm usually not at my most mindful. As I leave, I occasionally notice a piece of trash in the parking lot. In my rush, it takes my brain a few moments to process what I saw. Sometimes I get all the way to my car before I pause, feeling the tugging in the back of my mind. My ox was on a roll, ready to get to the next pasture for grazing. It says, the trash will still be here when we get back. But that grass over there is, it's only getting less green. It tugs on the rope, pulling me away. But I lean back and dig my heels in. 
Even though the trash may still be here, it may also be washed by the rain into a stream. And by picking it up now, we prevent that possibility and also keep the temple grounds clean. How could you be so selfish, Ox? The ox simply shrugs and snorts as it follows my lead to pick up the trash. My ox and I return to the path together. In the poem, the rope that was tied around the ox represents other power, external motivation, things like the temple and sangha. These things keep the ox nearby and under control. After a long period of practice, though, you may notice your ox beginning to understand your routines. Gradually, it will start to follow you. Practice will feel natural. Imagine that. But this is not a time to let go of the rope. When I was a young boy, I took care of my grandparents' dog, Sophie, for a little while. She was a small toy dachshund papillon mix with floppy ears and boundless energy. I decided to try my hand at training her, and after a week or so, she would follow me wherever I went. When cars went by, she would stay by my side. When dogs went by, she would listen as I told her to heal. So I assumed when we got to the common area of my neighborhood, an open field surrounded by woods, that it would be okay to remove her leash and play fetch. What I hadn't accounted for was the generations of hunting instinct programmed into this 10-pound pump. After a few minutes of wandering into the common area, Sophie paused and her ears perked up. I looked to the side, and I saw similarly frozen a groundhog staring back at us. In a flash, Sophie took off like a furry torpedo, and... I tried to call out to her to stop, but to my shock, she didn't listen. The groundhog, equally shocked, started booking it, and thankfully it had a head start and was able to make it across a nearby creek, too deep for Sophie's stubby legs. Bemoaning her lost quarry, Sophie barked at the edge of the creek until I was able to fight my way through the briars. All that resulted from this was a slightly traumatized groundhog and a bruise on my ego, but clearly I hadn't trained her as well as I thought. Our minds are like this story. If we know how we operate in 95% of situations, we feel comfortable. But what about the 5% when the groundhog appears? Because of this, maintaining the rope is still essential. When practitioners are at the stage of turning toward its leader, they better understand cause and effect. With this understanding, a new level of responsibility arises. Finally, the practitioner understands the full weight of the ox and the potential consequences of letting it roam free. Of course, practitioners at this level can still make mistakes or consider taking the wrong path, but when they do, they're usually able to catch themselves and return to a stable practice by maintaining a firm grasp on their rope. First five, tamed. In the shade of a green willow tree, the ox is set at liberty. At dusk, the ox herd heads homeward. The ox quietly follows. 
A period of transition from being driven by desires to being driven by awareness and wisdom marks the stage. The herder has dropped the rope, so familiar with the ox that they trust it implicitly. If the ox sees a groundhog, the herder knows that the ox will heal to their command. The goals of both are in alignment. In prior stages, one was to avoid locations and places that evoke temptation and desire. But at this stage, one should be able to return to those locations with general awareness. Master Kyungsan wrote that in these environments, there is a difference between enjoying it while being thoroughly immersed in it and enjoying it while recognizing its faults. He emphasizes the need for cultivating awareness within the material world rather than simply avoiding it. If the pull of a certain sensory condition is too strong, then it is best to avoid it. But as our mind practice strengthens, it is good to engage with them in mindful awareness, practicing the middle way. Similarly, the founding master said that practitioners of the way who avoid all sensory conditions and discipline their mind only in quiet places are like a person trying to catch fish who stays away from water. What effect will this have? Thus, if we are to cultivate the true way, we must learn to discipline our minds amid thousands of sensory conditions. This is represented in the poem by the green willow tree and the walk home, which respectively represent earthly desires and returning to material life. In other words, focus on training your mind rather than controlling your surroundings. While controlling your surroundings is important for initial practice and development, the end goal of our practice is to create an adaptable and robust mind, one that can operate effectively in any environment. In Wan Buddhist practice, this is called Gojin Chuljin, which means to be outside the dust while residing in the dust. In other words, maintaining a calm and clear mind regardless of external and internal sensory conditions. While you are here in the temple, perhaps you've found it easier to meditate. This is partially because the temple is a curated space with little dust or sensory conditions. But when you return to your secular life, you return to a world filled with sensory conditions. Do you feel like you can bring the mind you have at the temple with you when you return home? Can you maintain it? It's okay if you can't. I still have to come to temple to remember what it's like to be free from the dust. But it is my aspiration to eventually be able to practice everywhere the same way I practice here. To let my ox roam free without a rope, unafraid of any groundhogs that may pop up. I hope that you will be able to as well. Thank you.